good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad that you're here to join in studying Philippians chapter 1 as we continue our series, Joy in the Darkness. And as we think about what God has to tell us to think about how we face the dark times of life with his joy, perhaps you know someone who could be encouraged by this study. And if you do, or you just want to share it more generally, please consider sharing this video right now so someone can join us live and, and be in the conversation. There might be someone in your life who needs to hear about joy in the darkness tonight. Well, as we begin, let's go ahead and come before our God, the one who gives us that joy, and ask that he would guide us. Would you join me, please? Father, thank you for being with us through all the seasons of life. And as we we look to you and we see what you have done for us, still there are times that, that life does feel like it has quite a bit of darkness and we're, we're not sure how to, to focus on joy. And yet as we look at your word, we see reminders of your presence with us and how you use even those dark times to your glory and towards the plan that you have to make all things new and right. And so would you guide us tonight, reminding us of how you are with each and every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, last week when we began this series, we, we ended on a hopeful note. Paul's in prison. That's not particularly hopeful. But Paul says even in prison, his imprisonment is encouraging others to preach. And, and let's go ahead and go back to verse 14 and see what he said there once again. He said, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear wow, Paul's in prison, this is a bad thing, and yet something good's coming out of it. And, and yet he only goes on to the next sentence before the next bad thing comes up. The next darkness comes into the picture because as joyful as this is, well, it's, it's life and, and there's challenges and Paul's going to face a challenge even in this. And as I was thinking about how something can be both exciting, encouraging, something that we've been anticipating could be happening and there can be darkness at the same time. I, I thought of something that's sort of silly, but it reminded me of one of the challenges we've had over the past few years, which is shortages. You go and try to get toilet paper over the last two years. Who would have ever thought? And it can be challenging at times. Or, or even in normal times, non-pandemic times, there are special edition things or, or special event purchases, and, and they can sometimes be hard to get. I love going and getting the specials at Aldi, all the different special foods and, and neat things that they have. And, and there are people who anticipate certain things being offered and rush in and buy them up. You have to try to get to them. But there's also something that happens there, and it happens more broadly, which is there are certain people who know these special buyers are going to come in and people are going to want them. And so they go in and buy a bunch of them for the purpose of reselling them. And so this good thing that people are anticipating then becomes a bad thing because you can't actually get it. We've seen this in all kinds of things over the years. Right now, one that struck me, my cousin a while back was trying to get a PlayStation 5 and and you'd see the headlines, you know, PlayStation 5 has been released and then additional units of the PlayStation 5 have been manufactured. But almost inevitably, that headline's immediately updated, sold out. And part of the reason it keeps selling out is that there are people that know that a lot of people want them still, and they're hard to find. And so people go rushing and buying them up, and then they sell them on places like eBay for quite a bit more money. They're, they're taking something that is ostensibly good and exciting and, and wonderful, 
and turning it into something that's purely for their advantage. And we see that in every aspect of life, not just in, in trying to purchase things, but what Paul's experiencing here is in a way something sort of similar. Here's a good thing that's happening. People are going and preaching with boldness. And yet some of those people that are preaching with boldness are actually trying to use it to their own advantage against Paul. They're, they're going in and, and buying up all the, the quantity of, of preaching, so to speak, hoping somehow to get an advantage over Paul, to put it up on the aftermarket and make some extra money. They're not focused on God's glory. And that's what we see in verse 15. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So, just to get kind of an idea of what's going on here, if you imagine in verse 14, we, we, we see an increased boldness to preach the gospel in Rome, even as Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel, because people see that, that Paul is even using imprisonment as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with other people. And they're seeing, yes, this is a fearful thing, but, but God's using it. it. It hasn't shut down Paul's proclamation. We don't need to go hide we need to embrace what Paul's doing. We need to, to be bold ourselves. But some of these people, it would seem that, that were being bold, weren't saying, oh, we want to join in and, and be going the same direction as Paul because we know God is with Paul and we want to be just like that, proclaiming who Jesus is. No, what they're saying is, Paul's getting all this glory. Uh, you know, he's this martyrish person now. I mean, he... You know, everyone's looking up to him. He's in prison. Oh, isn't that, you know, whoop-dee-dee, here's Paul. And, and they think, well, if I preach the same gospel that Paul's preaching, and maybe they even genuinely believe it, but they think, if I can preach that gospel, but I can do it and I'm not in prison, then maybe I can get the people to follow me and not Paul. Maybe I can bring some glory to me. And maybe that stupid stuck-up Paul over there in prison, I can make his day miserable because he's going to look out there and he's going to see people want to follow me and not him. And that's what they're thinking, it would seem. It seems like they are actually preaching the genuine gospel. And as we see, and we'll get back to that in a moment, Paul says he's rejoicing in the preaching going on. So it seems very clear that they are actually preaching the gospel. Because Paul has no toleration for a false gospel. He wouldn't be rejoicing in people going out and preaching a different gospel. And we see that, for example, in Galatians chapter 1. Take a look at verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Okay, so that's, that's where Paul is in all this, okay? So we, we can be pretty certain Paul doesn't rejoice when people preach a different gospel, when people start tweaking what it is that's true about Jesus and what he's done for us, when they, they start taking away the grace and they start trying to reinstitute the, the old laws of the Old Testament or, or do something else that distorts the truth. 
No, it seems here that these people who are, are preaching out of rivalry, seeking to put down Paul, they're preaching the actual gospel. They're preaching what Paul would preach. The, the, the issue here is that they're taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment in an attempt to get the upper hand on Paul. They're, they're not distorting the gospel. They just have the wrong motives. And so they think, ah, this is going to make me feel good. It's going to make Paul feel bad. Paul uses the word afflict when he talks about what they're trying to do. They're trying to afflict him. And, and that word afflict, uh, commentators note, was originally the sort of word you'd use, for example, if you had someone shackled with chains and that those chains are rubbing up and down against their skin and irritating the skin. They're hoping that every time that Paul hears that someone has converted, that Paul feels like it's just that chain of his imprisonment rubbing up and down his skin, making him feel useless and knowing that the people like some other teacher instead. That's what they want Paul to think. And unfortunately, this isn't something that's gone away. If you've spent any time in the church, you've probably seen these sorts of rivalries where, where there are, are people people who actually believe the gospel, believe what we find in God's word, who still are trying to use what they can preach and teach out of it to gain the upper hand over other people doing the same. So often it, it plays into the way that we interact as churches, where we wonder, can my church get an upper hand over someone else's church? Oh, that church is closing, but more people are coming over here to my church. Isn't that great? We fall into those things. We fall into those things at a personal level. If if we're walking with someone through through a dark time and we're encouraging them with scripture and then someone else comes in and shares a scripture verse with them that really helps them, are we thinking, oh, I'm so glad this other person is walking with them? Or do we hear this little voice in the back of our head saying, well, now that person's not going to give me credit for helping them. Those are the sorts of things we can fall into. And especially when we know that the other person sharing gospel truth, the other one speaking from the Bible is doing it intentionally, to bring harm to us as those who oppose Paul were? It's kind of hard. I'll confess, if I know that people are even doing good gospel ministry, but they're doing it with the intent to try to bring me harm, it's not necessarily the first thing that I think of is that I'm going to rejoice like Paul says here. It's not, oh, I'm so glad this person is, is using the gospel to try to hit me over the head. And Again, these are the sorts of things that I, you'd wish that didn't happen in a church, but they do, and they hurt. And, and probably if you're in a church long enough, you'll feel some of that from people that you can't just push away and say, oh, those aren't believers. Those aren't people that have the gospel in their life. But it hurts even more because those are people who do have the gospel in their life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we hurt each other. What do we do in those moments? How do we focus on God's glory? And what Paul does here and what, what he's demonstrating for us to follow the example of is that when even when people are doing deeds that are meant to wound us, it's bringing God glory. There's room to celebrate. We need to transition from how does this make me feel? How does this hurt me? To how does this advance or detract from God's kingdom? Because indeed, sometimes people are going to do bad things for the purpose of spreading mistruths and misunderstanding, and it's just downright bad. And, and for example, in Galatians, Paul denounces such actions. But what Paul sees here is different. He looks at it and says, yeah, these people have bad motives. 
They want to hurt me. He says, what really matters, what I really need to be asking is, are they hurting God or are they helping God? And even if their motives are bad, even if they're not really doing it to help God, are they helping God? Because where our joy really comes from is in God's glory. And if we take a look at verse 18 once again, that's what he says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul says, the important thing is that people need to hear the gospel. It's not about whether people think that Paul's a great teacher. It's not whether people join the churches that Paul has established. What matters is that people are hearing the good news of who Jesus is. People are being taught God's word. And, and if the people teaching it are teaching it faithfully, even as they do it for wrong motive, well, God can use that. Because it's not about Paul. It's not about Paul feeling important. It's not about people saying, Paul, you're such a great teacher. Paul, I'm a follower of you. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, another place he addresses such rivalries and divisions. He says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He goes on just a little later. He says, He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul says, those divisions you're making, some of you are following Paul, some of you are following Apollos, some of you say you're following Peter, some of you say, well, I just follow Jesus. But what you mean is you follow the other people who say, I only follow Jesus. All of you are creating these divisions, and, and all of you are trying to rack up points as the, the, the truly holy ones. But what really matters is that we are actually following Jesus. And, and if some of our work overlaps and someone comes to faith in it, and it's a building set of building blocks from different people contributing to it, who cares who gets the credit? Because ultimately, God's the one that gets the credit. That also tells us something else really, really important that the church wrestled with early on, which is that the work of the gospel, the work that we're called to as the church, is not invalidated by evil people doing evil things. Maybe this is something that, that you've struggled with. I think a lot of us who spend time in the church are going to struggle with this. We're going to see some ugly things happen. And we'll, we'll wish, I didn't see those things. I wish those weren't there. And, and then the inevitable thing that that Satan wants to get into our heads is, well, if some of the people in the church are acting evilly, if some of the people in the church are doing things for bad motives, maybe the stuff they're doing, maybe the truth even that they're saying isn't really true. But we're told it's not that at all. We're told that, that even the ugliness we see, even the ugliness we see amongst believers, sometimes especially amongst believers, even that doesn't invalidate the message. If someone is carrying forward the truth of the gospel, it doesn't mean we should praise them for acting in an evil fashion. It doesn't mean we should commend them and say, Woohoo, I, I love it when people spread the gospel for, for evil reasons. 
there may be actually times even in the right context to seek to correct those people if they're doing it for wrong reasons. But it doesn't invalidate the message. The message is a message that we should rejoice in however it gets out, whatever means God uses. If God takes people's worst motives and uses it to point people to him, then we should rejoice. And so in that, even as these people are doing it, not only to hurt Paul, but they want to see Paul squirm. They want to see Paul's resentment building up just as they resent him. Paul doesn't mirror them in that resentment. And, and this is a hard thing to do. It's hard not to resent people that hurt us. It's hard not to resent when people do things and they're trying to twist that knife into us. But Paul here says that Jesus is being proclaimed. What am I? What does it matter about me? I want more people to know about Jesus. And again, this is not in any way an affirmation of misdeeds. This isn't, when, when we hear about the really, really bad examples in churches, of, of abusive churches, of things like that, this isn't affirming that and saying, well, as long as they're preaching the gospel, it's great. No, not at all. I think we can say it with confidence here that Paul, when he got out of prison, didn't go and find those people who were who were trying to hurt him and say, I want you to be the leaders of the church because you've shown such godliness in your attempts to cause division. No, not at all. This isn't an affirmation of the people. Rather, it's an affirmation that the message is larger than the people. And so as Paul is sitting here in chains, he can say, well, I'm just glad that the gospel's being preached. And the fact that some people are doing it for the wrong reasons doesn't mean that gospel is any less true. And, and so that can be an assurance for us, too, that if we look back, and many of us are going to look back and, and see people who taught us, people who mentored us, people who helped us in the faith who end up doing really awful things, and, and it may cause us to question, what did I do with this word in front of me? Paul says, rejoice in the truth of it. We hold on to the truth. We, we reject the falsehood. We reject the false actions. We condemn false actions. Paul doesn't bring this up again to praise these people. He's bringing it up to say these people are acting wrongly. But he says it's not going to take away his joy because inasmuch as they're proclaiming the gospel, it's good. God is bigger than the messengers. God is bigger than his church. God is bigger than any of us. And so when we too mess up, God's bigger than that. It doesn't give us an excuse but it gives us the confidence that God is working even through the fallen human beings who form his church. We need to focus on God's glory, that God's glory is working in these moments. And in that, it reminds me of a picture I saw not too long ago on Twitter. If you look at this tree, uh, this tree is not exactly what might be an arborist dream tree, right? I mean, if you're if you're trying to get a tree to grow nice and straight and perfect, you, you probably don't want a tree to look like this. And, and I don't know what happened in this tree's life, but something bent this tree pretty badly, didn't it? It's, it's, of course, it wouldn't be on Twitter if this hadn't happened, but this tree has had some struggles at some point. Something was weighing it down. And maybe it was something wrong with the tree itself, you know, so to speak, the tree's motives. Maybe it was outside circumstances of life intervening and preventing the tree from doing what it naturally should do. But something happened. But what do we see here? That even though that tree is bent and curved and not doing exactly what it originally was supposed to do, what do we see? It's been redirected and it's going up again. 
And when we think about God's kingdom, that's what we should be asking. We can look and, and we look at God's kingdom in this world and, and we see a lot of bent and broken and contorted parts. But what does God do even with the bent and broken and contorted parts? He, he starts redirecting it. He takes our least good actions and he starts redirecting them. He takes those times that we as the church just fail and he starts redirecting them. And, and again, it doesn't make it good that those things happen. We should work hard to get rid of them, Th those evil actions in our own hearts and in the church. But it says that God can overcome them. Yes, people are going to be mean. Yes, circumstances are going to be killer. But God is good and his glory overcomes. And that's what we're told here. Sometimes we're bent and broken and we think, where is God in this? And in those moments, we, we need to ask ourselves the question, can I see how God is taking the, the bent and broken and contorted parts of my life and using them for his glory? Do I understand those bent and broken moments as being glorifying to God? And if you're like me, this is going to be a struggle. Again, I, there are times that that people have done good ministry, truthful ministry, but I've known that they've done it to try to cause harm. And it's hard to get over that. Maybe you've seen that too. Maybe you see that in yourself and you wonder, does that mean the things I've done for people in the past when my motives weren't great? And, and if we really look in our hearts, we're always going to have times that probably all of us are going to have less than pure motives, even in sharing the gospel, even in sharing God's word. Times that we want people to, to look up to us, times that we want people to tell us how smart we are, or wise we are, or helpful we are, rather than how amazing our God is. And, and maybe we look back at those times and we think, does that invalidate it? Does it mean that this doesn't actually do anything in the lives of people? But what are we told here? We're told that we rejoice as the kingdom advances. And, and so that's what we look at here. Just as Paul can say in verse 18, what then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whatever the reason the person's doing, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Can we do that? Because if we see that Christ is being proclaimed and we see that the real trajectory isn't whether we're contorted and, and, and curved and, and, and things aren't going quite right, but the real trajectory is that more people know Jesus, so more of the kingdom advances and someday more people will be there. As God makes all things new. If that's our focus as it was for Paul, then we look at those broken and, and painful and agonizing times, even. And we can say like Paul, yes, the person, the people are trying to afflict me. Yes, the circumstances are afflicting me. But they're not really afflicting me because I'm not operating on, on the same sense that it's all about building myself up. I want to see God build up. I want to see his glory. Because when I see his glory, I get to rejoice in it too. We all get to rejoice in it. And so it's a call to, to redirect our hearts in those darkened times. And as we do that, to experience his joy. Would you pray with me, please? Father, a lot of times it's hard to do what we've been talking about. This is convicting because when people act out of less than pure motives and, and it hurts, 
I don't want to rejoice. Lord, I pray for myself that, that I would rejoice because your kingdom's advancing, not because I'm advancing. And, and may that be true for all of us, that, that what brings us joy is the advancement of your kingdom. And in that, of course, we, we pray that you'd purify your church. You purify each of our motives, that, that we might do the things that you've called us to do for the right reasons. But even as we struggle in that, may we always keep our eyes on how your glory is being brought about. Because we know that even in the, the dark times of the moment, that someday we will see the most beautiful and light times of all, the times in your presence as you make all things new. May we all have that hope today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we're going to turn to another challenging related topic, which is how do we face having joy even as we face death? How do we bring about joy in ourselves, or rather, we can't really bring it about in ourselves, but how do we experience God's joy even in the face of death? Because, you know, Paul has gone from I'm imprisoned to now people are trying to get the upper hand over me to what does it look like to actually recognize I might not get out. I might die. Of course, that's true for all of us at some level. But how do we have joy in everything in life? And that's where we're going to turn next week. So I hope you'll join me for that next week. If this has been an encouragement to you tonight, please do give it a like or a share. You can help us get the word out about the joy that God shares for each and every one of us that we can have as we trust in him, as we receive his gospel, and then we share it with others around us. As we think about these things and we think about God's word and how he encourages us, I'd encourage you to join in our songs for our temple Bible reading plan. We're going through the Psalms this year, and this week we are in Psalms 10, 11, and 12. You can see one of them is for today, one of them is for Wednesday, and one of them is for Friday. If you kind of read along at that pace and then go to grow.faithtree.com. We're having a continuing discussion throughout the week talking about what these Psalms have to say for us. And if you didn't catch it last night, you should check out. Jason does a great job giving us an overview of these Psalms. So I hope you'll check all that out at grow.faithtree.com this week. If there's any way I can be praying for you, any dark times you're facing that you could use some encouragement on, you can always shoot me an email at the email address on screen, or you can leave a comment in the comments below. I love hearing from you. I love getting to walk through the the joys and the challenges of life with you. So please feel free to take advantage of that. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I can't wait to see you again as we continue this exploration of the joy God gives us even in the dark next week.